Hi, this is Tamson Granger. And Dan Abuhoff. With Tamson and Dan read the paper. We are back in Block Island. Block Island. It's what what day is it? It's August first, two thousand twenty-two. And with us today are Noel, Zeke, and Pepper. 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 <laughs> Pepper, can you say hi? Well, back to Pepper later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's thinking about it. So here we are back again. This is Pepper's first trip to Block Island. All right. And do you like Block Island? Yeah. Okay. Do you like the ocean? Yeah. And do you like the sand? Yes. Uh, she's Mixed skeptical feelings. about the sand. Mixed feelings. Okay. okay. Um, but so far, so good. We've had some very sunny days, and we've had some good jumping in the water and playing with Mommy and Daddy. And everybody, right? Was it a tough trip to get here, guys? A little bit. We took our time, kind of. We spread it out. Because we're coming from California, so we kind of had a, a travel day to cross the country and then another travel day to get to Block Island specifically. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pepper, you had to go on a plane and a car and a boat, right? That's true. Did you go on a boat, Pepper? Yeah. Was it a big boat? Lots of people? Lots of people. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Then how does it feel to be back, Noelle? It's nice. I I wish I had more to say. It's beautiful here. It's always nice to come and visit. It's war it's it's warmer than I remember. But yes. Much warmer than Ventura. There's all this water in the air here. It's humid. It's a (laughs) little humid, yeah. That's what you call it, right? Yeah. Well, it's an island. It's nice. It's it's good for, it's good beach weather. Yes. So we've been busy playing with Pepper, which brings to mind an article Dan saw this week. Well, there's an article in the Times that says, do you babble to your baby? So does the rest of the world. And uh, the Times observes that many people talk to a baby by going ba, 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 or using a high-pitched voice. (laughs) Like, like that. that. <laughs> I'll get it for you, Pepper. <laughs> and and what the article says is that this is something that people, everybody does, not only in the United States, but across the entire globe. Well, it's not just the article saying it. There's research, right? That's what the article's talking well, about. Well, research, research, research. A recent yeah. study that yeah. recent study. finds that there are commonalities in the tones that people take with their babies. Um, there are lots of differences across cultures about, for example, how much people talk to babies. But uh, one thing that seems pretty consistent across a lot of different places is that people take on high pitch and uh, kind of sing-songy tones with their baby. So does that surprise you? <laughs> did you guys anticipate, did it seem weird at all to you when you had a baby and suddenly you found yourself talking baby talk? I don't know. I mean, it just seems like, a, I feel like there's so much cultural precedent for that being the normal way to talk to babies. I wasn't necessarily taken aback. So you were aback, just bowing so. to the pressure? <laughs> I think that especially in those newborn days, you're looking for whatever you can do to make your baby happy or to get like, they haven't smiled yet. So you're looking for any, any sign that they, that they're taking in what you're giving them. So you're like, whatever they respond to, you're like, yes, I will do this. And do the babies actually respond to it? Yeah. Is that why people do it? Uh, well, I mean, I know I do it, but I, you know, I'm... there there is a sense that babies do respond to it, but you know, again, no study can tell you what babies are really thinking. We don't know what they, we don't know what Pepper's thinking. 
Well, right? it's also it's also one thing to observe people do this, and another thing to understand the full picture of the evolutionary biology about why they do it, what happens, how it works. You know, I feel like uh, one thing they mentioned in the article is that some researchers are careful uh, that they caution people, you know, to think say this isn't this isn't kind of the whole story, and this doesn't mean that everyone deals with babies the exact same way. You know, it's easy to kind of uh, overreach on the data that we have. But for now, it's just neat to see that people are doing the same thing. That when you say to your baby, hi, like everyone's doing that, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, so it's either it's hardwired into the parents or it's just the natural reaction to the way babies talk. And babies do talk a particular way. Like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the way they talk. I have to say that when we do hear that high-pitched uh, pepper squeal, it brings a smile to my. <laughs> I remember learning in school that there is a that there's some kind of baby accent. That there's the uh, when you know when the baby first starts articulating some things, there's kind of the factory settings of how babies tend to to speak across cultures. Just and it's only as they learn, yeah, it's only as as they learn language more and as they develop more that they really take on. The way that your language, you know, works, the way that the, the sounds that you make, that there's a certain there's certain commonalities amongst babies about, you know, the way they like to say things. Um, so it's funny. It's, uh, you know, when babies show up in the world, they don't they don't know where they are. So there need to be some uh, common practices on the part of the babies and the part of the parents. It turns well, we're out. all humans. Yeah. Well, speaking of domestic flights, I mean, uh, since we do have. Pepper and her family here all the way from California off of a domestic flight. Right. Uh, Dan saw an article that he was interested in about what one can take on a domestic yes, I, you flight. You know, and I think I Obviously, can, you can take a toddler. You can take a toddler. I can take a stroller. I should quiz Zeke because Zeke's the one who's been flying back and forth from California. Okay, Zeke. So here yeah. are a few things. Technically, you can bring a toddler, though it is frowned upon. Is that right? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it really I is. I think it's a funny joke. All right. Let me ask you this, Zeke. You think you can take handcuffs on a domestic flight? Uh, I'm going to guess yes. <laughs> That's correct. You can't. Uh, no explanation, according to the New York Times, but they uh, it's a surprising answer because you can even carry them on. And, you know, you would think it might be a, uh, a risky thing. Something you to have in your checked luggage? Well, it, you know, it's suspicious if people are concerned about what security. Else impressed you? How about a foam toy sword? You've got a toddler. She wants to take her foam toy sword. Can you take that with you on the flight? I'm guessing no. You cannot. Even if the uh, weapons are toys, you can't take them on. All right, Except good. Except. What? The light. Uh, toy lightsaber. Can you take a, a toy lightsaber on, on? Well, judging from what you just said, yes. <laughs> you can. And the reason is because they, the TSA has reasoned there's no such thing as a real lightsaber. Whereas a toy sword, there are real swords. Lightsabers, they say, are fictional. This is news to you, I'm sure. Uh, okay. Sewing machine. Can you take that on the flight? I'll, I'll make the, it's, it's not too interesting. Yes, you can. Uh, antlers. Have you ever thought about taking antlers on a flight? Oh, all the time. Uh huh. Well, you can take it on a flight. You can take a waffle iron. You can take a lot of stuff. Cast iron pan. Can you take but that you, on? You could actually hurt somebody with antlers. You could, but you're allowed you to. You could spear them. They're allowed in your carry on. And, and you can do it. Uh, you can take them on. The, you can walk on as long as they fit in the overhead bin. There are a lot of antlers. Uh, it doesn't work. Uh, cast iron pan. Can you bring a cast iron pan? No. Zeke? I'm going with no. No, it's correct. 
because it can be used as a weapon. All right, here's the only one that I thought was interesting, honestly. Can you bring a bottle of ice? as a weapon? I mean, it just seems like, are they, they going to ban heavy see, objects see, or aren't they? I've, see, I've seen you cook pancakes. Believe me, they're dangerous. Uh, here mm. we go. Here's the question. Can you bring a bottle of ice on a flight? A bottle of ice. You take a, a water bottle, bottle freeze it, and take it with you on the theory that it's not a liquid. Are you saying can, can you bring the bottle of ice through security, or are you saying can you How bring it board the no. plane? Can you board the plane with a bottle of ice? Is you a can board the, no 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 to get it through security. You can board the plane. Yeah, can't no, you, no 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 with any kind of liquid. You, but you show up, you go through the X-ray machine, and instead of handing it, they would take away right, your liquid. You're talking about going through security. Going through security, and okay. you hand them a bottle of ice and try, with a hope of getting it through. I guess I, I guess what? no. The answer is you can. Oh, okay. you can do that. Because it's not at that point in time a liquid. Who is no, able wait. to get through security with the a bottle of ice? I thought you were saying bringing it on the plane, frozen. though. Yeah, well, still you can bring frozen. and you can bring it on the plane. You okay. can. It's still frozen. They say all your liquids no, gone. It's not going to be frozen by the time you well, stop. That, that's stand. a technicality. So, so is this, is this a security. loophole by which we can get whatever liquids we want into the you airport? Freeze them, you freeze them, and you can them? take them with you. Okay? Oh, okay, this is a good tip, huh? All right, then you go for that. All right. Um, so I hate to say this, but I get on uh, planes all the time with a knife. Oh, with a knife? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I have a little... Watch out, folks. All right. I often have a little gardening tool yeah. that's mm -hmm. kind of a folding knife yeah. in my purse yeah. for, you know, emergency... You know, the government's so listening to this. <laughs> You're not going to get away with this the next time. And uh, Well, they say you can you can get bring on a lot of things, practically speaking, because they just miss a lot of stuff. Oh, now we're going way down the wrong road, they okay? They miss a lot of stuff. We're not out to encourage that kind of law-breaking, all right? Plus I still right. say it's a mistake letting antlers on board. All right, so you had an article about Melissa Errico, who is apparently flying well, across the country. Well, she flies a lot, yeah. yeah. You, do you know who Melissa Errico is? Well, I Zeke. do. Zeke, do you know? No. Singer. Uh, okay. cabaret singer, but also Broadway performer. Sure. Right. Married to a famous tennis player, but I'll put that aside. Well, so tell them who it was. Uh, Patrick McEnroe, John McEnroe's okay. brother. So if you ever watch a tournament, a lot of people know uh, Patrick because the two of them do the commentating together. Oh. Yeah. He used to be on with I Miss, didn't he? Right. He used to do the sports on I Miss. This, this is roughly right. a million years ago. Yes. Anyway, and uh, we've seen her, haven't we? Right. Oh, yes. We saw her at 54 Below doing yeah. one of these performances. She's right. performing around the country in the kind of thing she did at 54 Below. Yeah. She's by now, you know, middle-aged. Okay. But yes. cute as a button. And she puts on a great show. And she, you know, she, so she wrote a little article in the New York Times about uh, traveling around for her show. And what, you know, I guess what a drag it can be. Well, yeah, she's trying to make she the best of it. She never knows where she is. Yeah. Oh. Fortunately, there's a guy at Delta JFK who will look on her phone calendar and tell her where she's going. Yeah. Well, that's what she says. I find that a little hard to believe. But that's, yes. That's a little silly. Yes. Why would you even want to but say that? Her if act, true. Her act was totally silly. There's another thing she says that's a little silly, but you, I'll let you what cover it. So she starts out the article, Zeke, by saying, uh, you know, she's getting ready for a performance, can't zip up her red lace mini dress. Mm -hmm. And so she steps out into the hall to of find hotel. somebody to zip her up. Yeah, the oh. first stranger comes along. And she through the variety of people. You know, she does this all the time. She runs into some very nice people. You know, sometimes they even go to the show. Right. After zipping she her up. She talks to them while they're zipping her up. They say, you know, you might be interested in seeing my performance <laughs> later on. You know? That's good. That's a good way to market it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, she says at a certain point, 
You know, she basically sells the tickets one ticket at a time. Well, she has a hard time selling out. She said she had, yeah, well, you can talk about it. She's, she's all over the place. She's in Indiana. She's. Uh, but uh, talk Detroit. about what she takes on a plane. Okay. Yeah. I don't even know how she gets. She implies that a lot of this is carry on. Yeah, but she also has but a She has takes a bag. like a giant suitcase that, a rolling suitcase that opens up. Into the compartments. Like an old fashioned trunk, mm-hmm. you know. You've seen in old movies, the performers have these big trunks that open up to like some kind of almost like a closet and it sounds like that kind of thing. But mm. she takes um, she takes on board with her a ukulele. Yeah. She takes uh, a shoebox of hair extensions, right. wow. which she once left in her seat while she went to the restroom. Mm. And suddenly there's an announcement over the loudspeaker saying, uh, concern is growing over a shoebox in uh, rows such and such. Uh, does anybody uh, know anything about this? And she had, so she ran out and she said, it's my hair. And, uh, she showed it And everybody. then she was waving it around, showing everybody her hair. So she gets into some scrapes. <laughs> but, um, so she brings on the ukulele, but not a foam sword. No. No, okay. no. Not a foam sword. She knows um, better. She takes, uh, what else does she take? She takes at least one racy novel. Adult novel, yes. Mm. Erotic novels, I think is what the way she described it. To ease the day. To raise her mood, she said. She takes some fancy misting thing for her throat. Mm -hmm. Apparently singers are always getting uh, pulled aside for their sprayers and misters. Mm. Uh, I don't know why that's uh, verboten, but maybe they are. You know, she, um, uh, what else does she take? Uh, you know, her music, her makeup, her gowns, etc. So she travels a little differently than we do. Um, she also mentions that, you know, some of her visits to very nice places end up, uh, being not that much fun. She loves San Francisco, had a gig in San Francisco. The hotel she was staying at turned out to be a dog hotel. Uh oh. And turns out, She's not good with dogs. And so it was, you know, she said, here I was in one of my favorite places. It was a nightmare. However, the hotel in Erie, Pennsylvania was delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and she has some good shows. She had a, a great show in uh, Las Vegas. But then she was somewhere else. And uh, there was almost nobody in the audience. Right. Oh. There were apparently competing shows in the this was in like in indiana or iowa it was indiana you know? and like winton marsalis was across the street no it was and, yeah, it uh, was. and so um she, you know she almost didn't want to go on but her piano player convinced her the show must go the on. show must go on and the three people who were there seemed very happy yeah so anyway it's it's uh it's a rough life it's a rough road but she is a, she has a positive view of it and you know she's she's not a superstar, but she's uh, she's by no means unknown, and she's got a bunch of CDs. Um, so uh, listen. And in between all the shows, she's posting like crazy on social, on media, social media to try to drum up business for the next right. show. Right, it's not like she loves doing it. So, so you know, it's not that glamorous life. No, one would assume it's not. She's got teenage daughters. But it or does, it like sounds that. like yeah. a pain in the butt to carry yeah. all this stuff around. No, she's got a good spirit. I what think she I needs an assistant. <laughs> she needs an unpaid intern. Really? To carry all the crap. Oh, and to travel with her? Yeah. yeah she doesn't. She can't support that. That's the thing. She unpaid does. intern. Yeah, but you still have to buy Doing the ticket. Doing it for the love of the crap. You gotta buy, buy the ticket, though. You know. 
She can't do it. She's a one-man band. All right. Speaking of uh, financial issues in terms of businesses, uh, the ice cream man. The man in the ice cream truck, Tamsin? That yeah. We, we used to take our kids to the ice cream truck a little bit. You did. I did not. Uh, I was I not did you, did you ever, Did you guys ever go to an ice cream truck? I mean, do you know you what an ice cream truck is? Don't go to them. The way the truck works. Oh, here we go. Yeah. The, the big part of the appeal is that it comes to you. Right? Yes. Right. Yeah. No, but you run out the door. You hear the music. You know, oh, with yeah. your dollar. No, but it was never. It was street. never driving by our street because we right. were at a dead end. So when when an effort when if ever did you see an ice cream truck? Uh, a pool? Possibly at like a like a park or a pool, probably some sort of public get-together of young people. Let me try the pool. How about the pool, the Cranberry Pool? I don't think... It's, don't it's a little, it's a little far to, to get to the parking lot from the pool. Oh, is that right? I don't think they did that. But anyway. you are familiar. You know what we're talking right. about. Sure. So what happened? So anyway, well, obviously, yeah. ice cream trucks have been on the wane in the suburbs for a long time. But when I was growing up, uh, yes. it was great excitement. The good humor truck would come yeah, by. Yeah, when you were growing up, they had just invented trucks. They invented ice cream. Ice cream. Yeah, the good humor truck would come by and play the music, and we were in the middle of a stickball game, but we would put that aside for just a couple minutes and run up and buy an ice cream for a quarter or something like that. You and each got, you bought your own. Then did you have to buy one for your mother and take yes, it back to her? Yes, yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Toast it on. That's How did you know that? Did you have to buy one for your yeah, mother, too? Yeah. Oh, the mothers got together on this. Yeah, huh? So does the stickball game re- resume after everyone's brought ice cream home to their mother? Yeah. Oh. Or maybe you have to eat it. But, uh, yeah. It's quite a delay. But, but the point is, of course, a quarter. So now it's a problem. It's why There's a million reasons why it's a problem. Some to do with the pandemic, although they make that the headline all the time. But uh, it's been a bad business for years. There's too much competition. There's a, that, Where are they getting competition? They're getting it from ice cream, bricks and mortar, brick and mortar ice cream stores, mm-hmm. which I would have thought would have been around forever. They're getting it from the specialty ice creams you see in the, in the supermarket, which you didn't used to see. You didn't used to see quite the variety right. of the ice cream bars and things in the supermarket. Right. Also now, I think people have bigger freezers. Mm-hmm. You can store right. a lot of good treats in them. Well, you never, there was no such thing as a good humor bar that you could buy in a supermarket when we were oh, growing up. It was only up. on the trucks? Yes, yeah, only on the trucks. And those were the best things? Yeah. But what about, um, didn't your brother Bob drive an ice cream he truck? He did drive an ice cream truck and for a short time. It was a disaster it? because... He had the kind of issues, some of which are described here. The truck would break down, you know, and it costs money to fix it. You had to buy gas. It was, it was a losing proposition. I think he gave up after a couple of days. Um, and, of course, that plays into this article, too. The cost of gas uh, makes it much tougher to make it as an ice cream man. Uh, the cost of all the materials, inflation, cost of ice cream. So, yeah, they say that the vanilla ice cream has doubled in cost. They say, basically, if you want an ice cream treat, with sprinkles and everything uh, from Mr. Softy, it's $8. $8, which is a huge contrast with what we came up with. So it's not the carefree treat it used to be. Well, uh, we have a Mr. Softy uh, brick-and-mortar location. Which oh, really? I understand it's a rarity. Yeah, it should be. It's almost entirely trucks, that business. But it's uh, they do have, I think, a handful of actual stores. And uh, there's one in our neighborhood. So that's yeah. what Pepper is used to. Really? Is going to the Mr. Softy and how much are you paying for that? Oh, probably eight dollars, maybe more. <laughs> you know, outrageous in prices. California. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. I have no idea if they're making any money. Does Pepper get excited? It seems reasonably popular. Does Pepper oh, get yes. Excited? Pepper requests it. Really? Yes. Can she say Mr. Softy? No, she says I seem shop. Oh, that's okay. what that's what she wants All to right. go to. Okay. 
So then, all right. So and she's going to a place that's there, so she knows. Does she say brick and mortar? She doesn't. She doesn't. No. I don't think she cares for the the distinction with the truck. But it's you know yeah we don't see the truck so much, and it's kind of be tough in that business. I mean you've got nothing to differentiate yourself with. Yeah, you compete no, that, with other a... trucks or to compete with stores. At least stores can work a little bit more on their selection. It sounds like you're pretty limited when right. you yeah. get an ice cream truck. It's a bad business. All right, another business by the boards. Too much competition, though. Not lack of competition. Too much competition. All right, here's something you guys want to hear about. Tamsin, uh, your mother, insists that I do a baseball article. And then she'll tell me in a minute how boring this is. So I know Tamsin has seen this. Ezekiel will tell us whether you see it or not. If you watch a baseball game ever, uh, every time someone hits the ball, they go, okay, the uh, velocity uh, you know, of, of the ball the person just hit uh, 100 miles an hour. 100 the exit velocity. Exit velocity. She, she's totally into well, exit velocity. Well, there's a difference because they, they tell you how fast the pitcher is throwing. Right. Yeah. And then, the so, ex- you know. Exit velocity. They give you exit velocity all the time. You can't watch a game without hearing exit velocity, I'd say, once every five minutes. So right? do we care about this at all? The article says a baseball stat that can score with all fans in the Wall Street Journal, and they're saying they believe people are interested in exit velocity. But what the article, again, are you familiar with this, Zeke? The News to you, exit velocity. The fact that baseballs have exit velocity is uh, right. come off the bat. Familiar <laughs> with that? I don't know what the. Okay. Anyway, the if you read the article even semi carefully, or if you manage to forge your way through the end of the article, what you mm-hmm. realize, and what the person who wrote the article says, in not so many words, is that it's a meaningless figure. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though that's not what the headline says, the uh, figure that matters. There is a figure that really matters, Which and they don't right? use it, and it's called OPS. An OPS, again, I'm getting this from the article, but I believe it to be true anyway, is uh, is simply the sum of on-base percentage and slugging percentage, okay? So it's two numbers which are relatively narrow statistics, but when you put them together, they actually do indicate the real value of the player overall. It gives you a chance to compare all kinds of hitters. We say how to compare a power hitter with a guy who just gets on base a lot, but he's a, you know, he's not a, doesn't hit triples and home runs. Well, you can do it. Look at their OPS, and it weights the two different things, and it puts them together. And it is an incredibly useful statistic, and I can tell you, you can easily evaluate the Mets in detail based on their OPS, which I'm not going to do right now. And he says the reason that it doesn't really dominate the discussion is that no one seems to understand what OPS is. Right. So mm. it's not uh, sexy like the exit strip. Yes, but they should explain it because it's such Velocity. a useful statistic and it's a very simple statistic. We need another Moneyball. Well, it's, we he need, does talk about Moneyball. We need Brad here. Pitt to say, let's pay attention to OPS. Let me tell you something. They do They do say that. And the guys who run the that Oakland team do say that. And all the guys in baseball do say that. But somehow the guys announcing the game can't bring themselves to that level of explanation. Well, part, of, the, part of what's going on with the announcers, though, and the commentators is that they're trying to bring you know more texture and entertainment value to the people they're describing. Well, they failed That's miserably. That's what I always that. figured the, explaining the velocity numbers were. It's not that you're saying. Yeah. So let me tell you one thing I just, just occurred to me at Bill Russell, I should say that really distinguish him and other than the uh, winning world championships and show you how intense he was. Well, what Bill Russell was also famous for was he threw up before every game. He threw up. He threw up before every game. You know, the NBA is famous for the regular season games don't count. The guys don't play hard. Bill Russell was so tense and so excited and so pressured before every game he threw up or so he said. So that tells you okay. something. Okay? I knew you'd want that fact. Uh, so where are we going here? Um, 
How about uh, sports gambling? Sports gambling. Z- Zeke and Z- I were chatting about how much we love sports gambling uh, advertisements anyway. Yes. So there was an On odd TV. article here about a, a, a scam. Zeke. So, yeah, you may see plenty of ads on TV for various sports betting services, and they may seem awfully lucrative and enticing, but beware, uh, at least if you are placing these bets at some pub in Russia, because apparently there's a bit <laughs> of scamming going around. Specifically, uh, there were some folks placing bets at some pub in Russia who felt that they were, who were under the impression that they were placing bets on the Indian Premier League which is, of course, the premier cricket league in the world. Uh, And uh, it turns out they were not actually placing bets on that league, and the broadcast they were viewing was not actually the Indian Premier League. It was a phony league that had been set up by some fraudsters uh, who actually went to the trouble of filming this stuff, of of getting a bunch of people out in a big, uh, big yard, a big old pitch, and staging cricket. So not actual games of cricket, but essentially a bunch of actors just got some local unemployed guys to stand around in a field, pretend to be cricket professionals, and they would tell them what should happen in the play. And uh, this would be broadcast and they would have fake commentators, in fact, imitating the uh, likeness of a particular famous commentator, commentator uh, Mr. Bogle, that they mention here. Um, Were they literally trying to do an impression of him? Yes. They had a so commentator the, literally so people, doing an impression of, of this Bogle character so that, you know, you turn on the broadcast and you say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's this famous commentator who's telling me this game. And uh, but it was fake, of course. It was it was skewed to serve whatever, I guess, the uh, the folks running this operation we're betting on, right? It would try to skew it in, in their favor so that uh, they pull in the money. Um, but eventually... A local policeman, and this is this is all happening in just you know some town in India, and a local policeman notices, huh? There sure are, uh, there sure is a lot of light coming from that field over there. There's, someone has has you know, I guess running like night games over there. I guess you know using these these big stadium lights all the time. What is that? And looks into it and finds out there's something sketchy going on. Eventually, a big uh, sting operation takes it down, um, and they try to find everyone involved at the time of. Printing, it sounds like they may not have uh, rooted out the entire conspiracy, but it seemed to. They, it sounded like they got the four main guys in this operation. A lot of the more peripheral people, uh, like the fake commentator and the fake players, seem to be set free. These guys are just being handed, <laughs> you know, a handful of cash to to do this, and didn't really seem like masterminds. But the, the people really behind it, behind faking these games, are now in police custody. Hmm. Um, so yeah, watch out. Uh, you may think that you're just betting on some professional sports you but you may actually be doing something irresponsible <laughs> yeah all right good well that's something to keep in mind you know they're going to run into fraud someday uh because there's so much sports betting and i don't think you have to go to india for that but we'll find out all right so there uh we'll just close with two obituaries uh which were kind of interesting to me uh it's kind of odd stories one is john Freund's who was a member of the Chicago 7. Zeke, you were talking up to me, the Chicago 7 movie. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Check it out. That's the one written by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so he was a member of the Chicago uh, 7. He was uh, considered uh, the straight guy in the group in that uh, they quote uh, one of the other members of Chicago 7 
uh, Wiener Lee, Lee, uh, saying that uh, he never had an impulse to say to John Freund, let's go smoke some dope. I mean, he looks about 10 years older than these guys. He's got a mustache, even while he's standing next to Abby Hoffman. Um, and he was a guy who was uh, sort of a, a chemist. Uh, he was in academia, but he believed in the cause. And he uh, was accused of... Uh, building an incendiary device and having shown three women how to make a stink bomb. In any event, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, notorious trial that makes him a notorious political figure. They were all acquitted. It's not like he went to jail. You know, they were all acquitted, right? Mm. And uh, what's interesting to me is that... Uh, were they convicted first and then that was no, reversed? No, no, no. They were uh, acquitted straight through, according to this. Uh, well, let me let me check that. Uh, the defendants, the jury acquitted them. Yeah. So there you go. Um, he, uh, in any event, uh, went back to academia. He ended up uh, having a lot to say about the standards for uh, lead um, and cotton dust. They're allowed in various products. You know, again, uh, for it's sort of a social cause, sort of, but uh, he did it in a more conventional way. And he was uh, interviewed uh, in 1990, and uh, he was asked... Um, you know, whether uh, he had really left his activist days behind him and every, he was tempted to go back to the, that kind of thing. And he's, he said, no, I'm not. He said, this is a very interesting quote to me. We still need student protesters because many of the problems of the 60s continue and new issues have emerged. But nobody's a student activist at the age of 50. You'd have to have your head examined. And But, but to me, here's why this is interesting. In, in other words... There's always the uh, age divide saying, you know, the older people, people over 50, let's say, uh, say those, you know, student activists, those protesters, those radicals that are crazy people. Uh, and it's always one or the other, whereas the, the radicals respond by saying these people, the older people are out of touch. And what he's saying really, and there's some truth of that, is you need both. I mean, the society benefits from having both simultaneously. It's not a one or the other. It's not that one's right and one should stop doing anything else at all. Which is, he has a unique perspective because he was both. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. I can see from the uh, nods here that you guys agree. And uh, all right, the last one, Monty Norman. Monty Norman wrote the theme for uh, James Bond. Okay, he was a composer. Uh, and the theme, I'm going to do it, but you're going to know it. And no one's going to know it from my singing is, you know, How's that? This might be the worst. But you know what I'm talking about. No one's going to call us. Sounds like a show tune coming from It's not copyright infringement. So you all know it. So, But he got. Who's the man in the tuxedo? Here's the thing. Here's why I'm bringing this up. Because he did get involved in show tunes, okay? I make it sound like a show tune because he was a show tune. He got involved. Guess what? Okay, I'll just say it. Okay, uh, he collaborated on an English language version of a show that you know, okay, which made Broadway in 1960. The name of that show is? Irma LaDuce. Irma LaDuce. So whenever you watch a James Bond movie and you hear, da 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 you're going to say to yourself, that sounds a lot like Irma LaDuce, right? Is that going to happen? 
So you, they can't hear you. Yeah. You, you, you. You're nodding, but you have to say something for the record. I don't think I'm nodding. I think I'm thinking it over, <laughs> trying to see if there's any connective tissue. All right. Well, you only get that kind of insight in this podcast. Well, those are, both, are you those saying are both he wrote tunes. the music for the French he, version of Urban for Lagoon? the uh, you, for the English version? He wrote. He, they changed the music. Yeah, apparently to some degree. Yeah. Yep. I thought the I thought the whole thing with that show was that it was the same music, but they just uh, changed. Look, he was involved words. in the music for Irma Deuce. Let's leave it at that. You guys, you know, I'm not, they're not going to have all the details. It's an obituary. <laughs> the man's primarily famous. Two thirds of the article is about that's what made him famous. Irma Deuce did not pay the rent for him. Okay, it was James Bond. All right, so that's all for this week. So we're just going to say this is Tamsin Granger, and Dan Abuhoff, and. Noel Borg. And Zeke Abuhoff. And what's your name? Pepper. Pepper. Pepper from Block Island from, uh, what is it called? Tamsin and Dan Read the Paper. Can you say goodbye to everybody, Pepper? Say bye-bye. Say bye-bye from Block Island. Bye-bye? Can you say bye-bye? Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> She's giving it some thought while she thinks about it. Uh, we'll come back next week. Bye-bye from Block Island. Bye-bye from Block Island.